Welcome to He's Dead Jim. We're enjoying Star Trek, the original series, one episode at a time. And uh, this week we get our second court martial. So exciting. I'm Mick McConnell, and please welcome the wonderful intergalactic Emily Lind. Hello. Hey, pal. How are you? I'm not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing great. What's, what's happening in your part of the Alpha Quadrant this week? Oh, I went to see the new Robin Hood movie, and it's crap, and no one should watch it ever. No! Excellent. Thank you for saving me that time. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so looking forward to seeing that. Crap. <laughs> oh, it's really... It is one of the most deeply stupid movies I've ever seen. And I like, don't even know who's in it. It's Taron... Uh, it's Taron Edgerton, um, Jamie Foxx's Little John. Um, I mean, oh, most most importantly, it has Ben Mendelsohn. But yes, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so but on it brand is, for yeah, it's oh no. And, well, it made it, it's not like even particularly fun, stupid. It's it's awfully boring and almost two hours long. And I was, I like the whole time in the theater, I was just like, I, I, I can't, like, I was so close to leaving, but I'm like, I can't, I'm, I'm watching this so that we can talk about it on our Star Wars podcast, because <laughs> we talk about Ben Mendelsohn, but mm-hmm. it's, it is not good. So maybe save it for like iTunes rentals. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Yeah. Good to like, know. Watch it when gotcha. you can be at home drinking, ignoring the movie. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> is that a is your ticket a tax write off because you talk about it on your Star Wars <laughs> podcast? Oh God, if only. We should probably introduce that uh, mystery voice that we can hear. Uh, our second time, your first ever returning guest, Linda Moulton, all the way from Thailand via New York, <laughs> or is it New York via Thailand? Uh, our favorite Georgian. Thailand via New York. <laughs> Hi, guys. Yay. Welcome, Linda. Thanks. I met Linda for the first time in person at the Kosamui Podcast Festival, and uh, Linda kindly explained Stardates to me, and I promptly forgot. I just listened back to that episode, <laughs> so I'm, I'm up to speed. I just need to listen to it every day. I listened to it, <laughs> I listened to it too, and I forgot how bad that windstorm was. Oh, man. <laughs> Exciting, a bit of atmosphere. So basically, like Mick was essentially taking his hat and using it as like a wind guard against the mic. And then I felt like I should do something. So I was using my hand to kind of like muffle my mind. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It was a good week by the pool, though. It was, yeah. Until the storm came up. I'm heading back there next weekend. So I'm very excited about that. Awesome. Are you staying and you're staying at the same place? Yep. Fantastic. Linda's just moved to moved to Thailand. So you liked it so much visiting there for a week you've decided to move there full time. Yeah, I actually found out that I got the job while I was in Koh Samui last summer. So it was very exciting. Like I was kind of trying to keep it under wraps, but then like every now and then I would slip up and be like, Hey guys, I'm moving here. <laughs> <laughs> So you're teaching English to high school students, yes, is that right? that's right. Basically what I'm doing is I'm teaching um, Matayan 1, 5, and 6. So the way the school is set up, Matayan 1 and 2 students are like 12 to 14. 
age. So it's kind of like the last couple of years of middle school and the four years of high school, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. What's it like adjusting to life in Thailand? It's, um, it's, it's getting there. I'm liking it. I'm adjusting and I think I've adjusted pretty well, but then again, there's a gecko in my room right now that might make an appearance and that kind of scares me. So how long have you been there now? <laughs> um, a little over a month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it seems like longer than that. No, what? Yeah, I got here the middle of October, so, oh yeah, coming up on two months. So you'd come pretty much straight from an uh, apartment in New York City yeah, where to I... somewhere in the countryside in Thailand. So pretty much. Where about you? You're, you're on the mainland. I am. Um, I'm in a town called Pisanalo. So it is about six hours north of Bangkok and about six hours south of Chiang Mai. Wow. There you go. And the, the school you're at, that's kind of a little bit remote it's sort of out of town yeah it's about um maybe 15k from the city center but i've got a motorbike so like that's easy to handle (laughs) sweet so you got like a it's a scooter yeah but it's it's a little bit um it's more it's like a 125 cc scooter it's it's pretty intense (laughs) Like I was showing oh, pictures man. to my folks back in the States and they were like, that's not the moped you said you were getting, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing mad stunts? Just U-turns. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> had, had you ridden the scooter much in the States or a motorbike? Um, yes. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't in the States. It was actually in um, Bermuda. And then a couple times where I was a passenger, I fell off as a passenger. <laughs> oh, yucks. But um, luckily it was not injured. It was like basically just around um, a parking lot. And then I was like, nope, not having it. Yeah, that would um, not be my, oh, my vehicle of choice in New York City. I would be terrified. <laughs> I No, Emily, I still haven't gone into the main city center on my on my bike yet like it's it's terrifying like the only reason i'm riding it is because we are so far out in the country and there's very limited traffic yeah um like to get to the mall basically i have to go down this one road and then i have to make this u-turn but also the motorcycles and scooters kind of share the same lane as cars and trucks and it is frightening yikes and what's the what's the countryside like? Is it all sort of jungle and no, palm trees oh, and huts? It's, or? it's so gorgeous. Um, it's very open, like lots of rice fields. Um, oh, beautiful. Uh, banana trees, coconut palms. Um, way, way out in the distance, um, you can see some mountains. And we actually went to went into another province a couple of weeks ago Um and it was like up in the hillside and it's, oh man, it's gorgeous. It, um, the other teacher from the States here said it was a lot like Vermont. Huh. And I can, I can definitely see that like out in the mountains, not where we are currently. 
When we spoke last time, Linda, uh, we talked about your sketch group that you're in in, um, in New York. Yes. And how you'd written a Star Trek sketch. <sighs> yes. That actually was um, – w- I finished it and it premiered at the last show that I did with the group before I kind of took an extended hiatus to come here. And how was that? Basically, the sketch was Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beaming down to essentially um, like Long Island City, New York, and they go to, they're right outside the strip club, and they've received essentially a distress beacon, and it turns out that they've been mistaken for the entertainment for a bachelorette party. (laughs) (laughs) um it it was it was okay I mean I I'm gonna be honest I really wasn't happy just because it the people in the group were kind of pressuring me to kind of have one ending where I I wasn't happy with it and ultimately it was successful but also it kind of led to a little bit of disagreement with one of the actors about how certain characters are supposed to be portrayed. Um, those actors had never seen an episode of Star Trek. Ooh. So it was a little bit difficult to explain. And Ooh. yeah. Oh, that's a shame. That's tricky. It's, yeah. So it sort of, it had to go through the committee. It's fine. Like it's actually, um, the- it actually was kind of like, it actually kind of led me to thinking about, other trek like related sketches that i could write like for example what happens if because kirk has so many one-off romances like what would happen if one suddenly shows up like oh (laughs) you're with her now great do you remember um that one time on the starbase where i was the prosecuting attorney on (laughs) and then we made out in front of the entire crew of the enterprise i thought i was the one i don't know what a crazy sketch. That had never happened. <laughs> Imagine if that got made. <laughs> oh, geez. But, um, yeah, the we did the sketch. I wasn't necessarily happy with it. But also, it. I wrote it and then went away for a month to Edinburgh and then came back and it was kind of like, oh, so this is what happened while I was away. Okay, great. Do you do other sorts of creative writing or is it mainly sort of writing for sketches? Mainly writing sketches. There you go. And how about, um, Emily, we know that you, you've you um, taken your hand to fan fiction back in the day. You're a fan fiction veteran. Um, written some great parody fan fiction for Steel Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. Anytime you're writing erotica even (laughs) even intentionally bad erotica it's it's really like like i was surprised how embarrassed i was while writing it i mean it was supposed to be (laughs) i loved it It was one of the funniest things i've ever heard and i'm and it was effectively bad but it's also at the same time i'm like yeah i'm just writing sex scenes like (laughs) i've added a lot of terrible (laughs) stuff around it but it's also just sitting here writing sex scenes that i'm then going to send to my friend steel 
Oh my god! <laughs> For them to read. Have it, do you listen to Steel Wars, um, Linda? Uh, yeah, I've listened to it a couple times. Yeah, for um, uh, at Celebration the last time they had it, um, they had a a big like party for the the making uh, Star Wars Network that Steel Show is on, and like all the different shows were doing little segments, and I wrote a terrible uh, fan fiction for them to perform. <laughs> so they did like a live they did a live reading so of it good. and sort of sort of luckily sort of sad that i wasn't there because i think i would have had to leave the room oh my god but like, like i when i knew it was happening i did, i like turned off my computer and went to bed because i didn't want any i was too nervous about it oh no but i did listen to it later and i'm like holy god People seem to like it, but... <laughs> so, if I can remember the cast, it was Maud Garrett from Geek Bomb playing Mon Mothma, who's having a secret love affair with Grand Moff Tarkin. With Krennic. Krennic. <laughs> oh, so it was Krennic. But anyway, yeah, it featured uh, Jason Ward, who's a big Star Wars podcaster, and doing maybe the most atrocious Australian accent I've ever heard. Oh, no. It was, it was <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then Steel doing sound effects nice <laughs> so good so do you do you do a lot of other writing emily or do you do some other writing um not really anymore i mean i used to do a lot of of short stories but also just like i did a ton of not parody fan fiction back in the day i mean not not erotica but just just sort of <laughs> regular I did a lot. I did a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction. Nice. Kind of like spec scripts, or well, just you know, just everything really. Some of it supposed to be funny, some of it like supposed to be pretty serious. But I also helped moderate one of the. There was a because this was back when you know days of Live Journal and and even before that. So fan fiction websites were really, really like the way to go because there wasn't Tumblr yet. And I Oh, I you remember know. um I remember a Lord of the Rings one that my friends and I I think I was like in seventh and eighth grade when we found it, but it we were like obsessed with it. Yeah, and there and it was yeah, it's 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 it was an interesting subculture, but the one I the one I moderated was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer crossovers. And it was at at the time like probably the second biggest Buffy fan fiction website. Wow. And I was sort of there wow, awesome. like from the creation of it. And it still exists. And I'm not gonna give the my writer name on it because my stuff is still all <laughs> up there and it is fucking <laughs> terrible. <laughs> That's okay. What were some of the wilder crossovers? Uh, that I did, or that just exist? Because I, because oh, I don't well, want to necessarily that, give the ones. I don't. On the okay, yeah, I don't want to give the ones that I did because it makes it too easy to find. But I mean, I mean, no pressure. I mean, Safe everything, space. anything. There was actually oh, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings ones, um, Star Wars. Uh, a Buffy Lord of the Rings crossover. I would 
die oh, to read that. There's a lot of it. I can send you some. I don't know how good of any it is because I haven't read it in years. I know how I'm spending the rest of my morning. <laughs> but also, you know, it's not all, it's not like it's all genre stuff either. Like you'll get genre stuff, like you get Star Trek and Firefly and all that, but it's also you get like the the West Wing or um I'm trying to whatever, you know, Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Anything and everything. So the West Wing and Buffy. Yes. Man, that's full on. Uh, did you have you ever written anything with the Star Trek characters, or would you write anything? I'm I'm trying to think if I ever did. If I did, it would just would have been like a little like one shot, like because we used to we used to do challenges on the website where it's like here's a topic or here's a character, write for twenty minutes about it. And then post whatever you have. So maybe then, but I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I would. If I did, I would probably do Deep Space Nine because that's the one I know the best. There was a brief amount of time, like right after the two thousand nine movie came out, where I was obsessed with a Star Trek TV show reboot, obviously before Discovery, and I was like, "What if they did it at the Academy? And what if it was featuring McCoy rather than Kirk or Spock?" I would watch a McCoy then, show. Oh, me too. It'd be so good. I kind of <laughs> want to see old cantankerous McCoy, though. I'd like to see him, like, at the retirement home. <laughs> he had that one appearance on um, The Next Generation where it was, like, I think it was the pilot episode where he was an admiral. Yeah. And, oh, my God, it was, like, I still get choked up when I see that cameo. Like, sometimes if I need a good cry, like, I will Google McCoy the next generation and I'll just watch that clip on YouTube. Wow. I'm going to do that next. It's literally 45 seconds, but it is, it's McCoy, it's data. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And I think that's the only time he appears in that episode. I think so. Yeah. Now I think we covered this last time. McCoy is your guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's the best character. <laughs> He's the main character. <laughs> There's no question about that. No, I um, I think I talked about this in the last episode um, when I kind of had a reboot interest in Star Trek because I had watched it as a little kid. Um, my parents were both Trekkies. And then the 2009 movie came out and I was just like, I was kind of like, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like, why didn't I know about this? Or why wasn't, wasn't I obsessed with this from a much earlier age? And I was like, kind of hounding my folks, like, who's your favorite character? My dad would say Kirk. My mom would say Spock. And I was like, no, you're both wrong. It's McCoy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> now, I know, I think early on, when we or we probably still do it when we have a when we call McCoy out on his casual racism against Vulcans, um, you're you're a bit uh, defensive of McCoy, or you don't like us attacking the great man. No, it's see, it's not that, and I know that a lot of the episodes are self-contained, but part of me is just like he's not. It's not necessarily racism towards Vulcans. I think he just doesn't like Spock. Yeah, okay. in general, because um, he's more than happy to help out like 
other aliens. And if you go on Memory Alpha, like he's one of the more well-known xenobiologists. So, um, and then also part of that was maybe he's just getting a little defensive because of his experience in the man trap. I was just going to ask, so when you talked about xenobiology, your dad, uh, something I didn't know, you're telling me your dad is an expert on the introduced species. He is, so is, yeah. is your dad a biologist? He's a zoologist, yeah. There you go. And mm-hmm. um, My mom actually is a neurobiologist. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so both my folks. Wow. Um, so in, in terms of introduced species, there's a bit of a tie-in. Um, uh, Linda hit me up and said we've got to get got to get Mr. Moulton on when we do the Trouble with Tribbles episode. Ahem, Dr. Moulton. Doc- oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Please no, forgive he's me. Coming, um, um, he's coming to Thailand in a couple months, so... That'd be cool. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. even if we don't get caught up to that episode by then, we'll have to catch up with uh, Doctor Moulton and I'm, I'm curious have a to see a what chat about plagues. Oh, I've never, I've never really talked about that with him. Like, I just honestly thought triples as an introduced species. Um, plagues would be more of an epidemiology, and that actually might be a better question for the other Dr. Moulton in my family, my mom. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, What's it like growing up with two doctors? Um, I, like, I could not bring home any grade lower than a B in science. <laughs> it just, it, it was just kind of like just the fear of them. Um, actually my mom, even though she's a neurobiologist, she currently teaches high school chemistry and biology. And she actually was my high school chemistry teacher. Oh, oh, that's right. I remember you telling me. That. Yeah. Um, and then it just, pe- it, people weren't necessarily aware because my mom and I don't really look alike. Oh, okay. So you could keep it quiet. It, yeah. But it kind of um, it kind of slipped up about halfway through the year, and then none of the people in my grade like looked at me the same after that. Oh, no. um, actually, oh man! Actually, the history teacher outed me in front of most of the class. Oh no! <laughs> um, because he made a joke about you don't have to worry about we the. Uh, chemistry exam because you have to take the AP European history. Dr. Moulton won't care. And then he's like, "Uh Oh, Linda's in the class. I can't make that joke. And then people were like, why, why can't he make that joke? Linda. Linda. Um, Did people not draw the connection between the fact that you had the same last name though? Um, it's, I mean, it's not a common last name, but I think they might have just assumed, oh, could be an aunt, could be. Yeah. But also um, because Gainesville is, it's a university town, like there's a lot of professors and former professors like teaching at high schools. So even then it, it necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily like, be that big of a deal. I see. It's a lot of super smart 
teachers? I I actually did get my mom's. Um, <laughs> this was a mix up on the school's part. Um, in ninth grade, when I first started going to the high school, I got an official letter from the school with her teaching assignment. <laughs> oh, <me>. nice. <laughs> so it was kind of like, I just remember getting a knock on my door and my mom coming up with this letter being like, um, so Linda, starting Monday, you're supposed to be teaching 10th grade chemistry and 12th grade biology. Um, you, you prepared for that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So you didn't get any? You didn't get the answers to tests or anything exciting. She would not call on me in class. She would not answer any of my questions. It was kind of like, I am not showing favoritism to you at all. She wanted me. There actually were two chemistry teachers, and she really wanted me to be in the other chemistry class. And I remember going in third period chemistry. My mom comes in from the faculty room coffee in hand and she goes you're not supposed to be here (laughs) (laughs) that definitely would have outed me to the rest of my classmates but I was like one of the first kids in the room oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah I kind of get that not wanting to show favoritism Mm -hmm. it was kind of like she was friends and co-workers with all of my other teachers so I really had to do well in the other classes or else like she would know before I did. Like my math teacher would call the house and leave a message on the answering machine. Like, hi, Becky, I'm really sorry to do this, but Linda didn't do well on her uh, algebra exam. Oh, no. Wow. Yep. And because it was one of those. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, it was. It was awful. And like, it was one of those answering machines where you could, my parents kind of screen the calls so they wouldn't pick up the phone. And I would just hear my math teacher's voice like on the answering machine and I would just be mortified. Oh, no. <laughs> That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to get uh, one or both Dr. Moulton's on when we, when we talk about the tribbles. Uh, Emily, do you have any questions for the witness before we start the show? No, just before we <laughs> talk about the episode. I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think I'm good to go. I was not prepared to be cross-examined. <laughs> Very appropriate. Um, so this week we watched Court Martial, which is episode 20 mm-hmm. of season one, or episode 21 on Netflix. Uh, it originally aired on NBC on February 2nd, 1967. Uh, the star date is allegedly 2947.3, which is mm-hmm. wrong. Um, directed by Mark Daniels, who I understand was the first uh, director on the I Love Lucy show. and uh, Oh. Yeah, which is relevant. Yeah, he did like the first 30-some episodes of that one. So that's cool. Oh, wait, that's awesome. Apparently he was a pioneer of the multi-camera sitcom, you know, or TV show using three different cameras rather than just having the one. Uh, He also directed The Menagerie, um, which is our sort of repackaged pilot episode, and he won a Hugo Award for that 
It's the one featuring Captain Christopher Pike. Um, Very cool. Which is pretty cool. Uh, this was written by, I'm going to make a mess of these names, but uh, Don Mankiewicz, uh, who wrote Ironside and a novel called The Trial, which was later made into a film. So he's the guy you call in when you want to write about crime and and court martials. And okay. Stephen Karabatsis, who was a story editor. So I think last week I said that DC Fontana was story editor for the whole series and that actually wasn't the case. So Stephen was story editor before that and part of his contract was he got to write you know, at least one of his own episodes. And I mean, that makes sense. Like um, if he was on, he was probably on the payroll as a story editor, but if it just so happened that he was able to collaborate and write a teleplay with a guest writer, then it worked out or something. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I found it interesting anyway. I don't know much about sort of writing in writer's rooms, but reading up on yeah, what he had to do to try and get scripts to fit in under budget and then the original writers getting upset. And, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Hmm. Okay, so at the start of this, the, the Enterprise has been through a severe ion storm and it's badly damaged. Um, Kirk has ordered a non-scheduled layover on Starbase 11 uh, for repairs. So I think we've been to this Starbase before. Um, yes, we have. Yeah, and it's got that cool you know, sort of purple sky with you know, like a, a planet like Saturn with rings in the background. Have we seen Commander Stone before? I believe so. Okay. I meant to go back and d- because double check. Oh, just, yeah. yeah, just because when he when they kind of introduced him, it I got that I got that feeling that we had seen him or been introduced to him earlier, and it was a nice little callback. But I just wasn't sure. So was this? I, I think it was on the um, the other court martial episode where Spock gets court martialed. Oh, okay. So Commodore Stone is your stern court martial guy. You need someone to mm, doubt the okay. integrity of our Enterprise heroes. Got it. Uh, so a crewman, Lieutenant Commander Finney, has been killed and uh, Kirk is in Commodore Stone's office. He's just made a report on the incident and he's he's concerned about it. He's reading over it again and again and you know, he's, he's not quite mm-hmm. ready to sign off on it. Um, Kirk appears... He just wants to make sure everything's in order. Yeah. So, yeah. He's... He feels bad about the death and... Yeah, this was interesting to me because, I mean, we we get Enterprise crewmen dying all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so sort of like, this one such a what, what prompted the investigation on this one in the first place? I mean, besides narrative convenience. It's because he was wearing a red shirt, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> So I wonder, yeah, maybe this maybe rank. these reports happen all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or um, they just happen to be unlucky enough to have to go to Starbase for Eleven for repairs, and Commodore Stone's a real hard ass. Hmm. 
Kirk appears to be responsible for this crewman's death and apparently he waited until the last possible moment but the storm got worse and he had to jettison the pod. Uh, Spock arrives to hand over the computer logs and tries to warn Kirk that um, about something but he's interrupted and um, you know, the Commodore mm-hmm. takes the computer logs. Just then the crewman's teenage daughter Jamie busts into the room and she's crying and says, there you are, I just wanted Jamie, one more who, look at the man. Who was obviously a 20-something-year-old woman playing a preteen. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, why? It's not like it's, some, <laughs> it's not like it's a huge part. Like, I understand in, in TV shows about high schools where you're working around, like, like age restriction like labor laws but if somebody's only in like two scenes how can you not just use a kid yeah it's bizarre isn't it just like when we get into the later parts of this episode i feel like maybe there she would have had a bigger role to play but that got edited out or something but they had still already cast the actress and didn't want to break that contract Possibly. Yeah, I wonder. Most of her presence is just there, just with tears in her eyes, being physically upset in the courtroom later on. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have a lot of lines. Um, But, yeah, she says, there you are. I just wanted one more look at the man that killed my father. And she's hysterical. And she says, you hated him all your life, and now you've killed him, you murderer. And uh, we later learn that Jamie was named after Kirk. And uh, these two men were once good friends. Mm-hmm. Commodore Stone has been going through the logs and tells Kirk, I must assume that you have committed willful perjury. The extract from your computer log says that you jettisoned the pod before going to Red Alert. Consider yourself confined to base. And then we roll the intro. We've confined you to base for a technicality. So dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, because he's, he's not actually under arrest. No. He's just going to remain on the base while they decide whether or not a, a court-martial mm-hmm. will go ahead. So Kirk's in a bar on the base, and it's full of Starfleet officers, and it's very frosty. They all hate Kirk and seem to blame him for what happened to their friend, and Kirk's only friend in this cruel base is uh, McCoy. McCoy's got his back. Yep. Um, Kirk leaves uh, the room and then a beautiful woman walks in. And McCoy is instantly all over her. <laughs> Just swoops in. It's, it's, when, I first, when I first watched this episode, I kind of passed over it. But then the second time I was like, hello, legs. She's got like these bright yellow leggings on and like this canary like outfit it's <laughs> it's hard to miss her okay so yeah he is kind of sort of flirting but then like the second time i watched this episode i kind of got more of just like gabbing about captain kirk like almost how do you solve a problem like maria type vibe if that makes sense yeah it is a bit weird, like, yeah, his opening line is, uh, that was indeed the legendary Captain Kirk, so he name drops Kirk straight away. That, yeah. That was an odd introduction to, oh yeah, we used to date. Yeah. The whole, like, the whole scene with McCoy was unnecessary because 
in the next bit, Kirk meets with Ariel and he's, and he has a line where he's like, I see Dr. McCoy is a blabbermouth, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So, Ariel Shaw is, yeah, an old friend of Kirk's and McCoy makes the comment that says, all of my f- old friends look like doctors and all of Kirk's old friends look like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she stands out, I guess. She's she's wearing a cool summer cocktail dress. Sorry, I'm not great at describing the fashions, but stands out in the room of Starfleet uniforms. Yeah, which that makes sense because, but then they also have her like changing into her, her official lawyer gear. Part of the surprise in the Commodore's office, the Commodore and his computer are interrogating Kirk to see if a court martial is necessary. Um, Commander Finney was an instructor at the Academy while Kirk was there, I believe. Maybe not. I kind of figured no, that was he, he was an instructor at the Academy at the same time serving on Starfleet. So um, what it seemed like was because he was an instructor that kind of interfered with any promotion opportunities. Yeah, because Kirk makes this statement that he was an instructor there for longer than most people are. So I guess it seems like at least how it was in the original series is like, it seems like a lot of people did stints teaching the the Academy, but they were usually pretty short. And then you went and had your like starship career. Or you taught after you'd had your career. Yeah. But he, Finney, for whatever reason, was there for like a while. So he was already on a slower path than he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know from one of the episodes, Kirk was a, an instructor at one point. Yeah. So later on, uh, Finney and Kirk served together on the United Starship Republic. Uh, Kirk relieved Finney on watch and found that Finney had left a circuit open to the atomic matter piles that should have been closed. Uh-oh. Another five minutes and it could have blown up the ship. Seems like you'd put an alarm on that or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's... Uh... I mean, my, my fridge beeps at me if I leave it open too long. <laughs> so... <laughs> Just accidentally forget to close the atomic matter piles because you're too busy checking Facebook. <laughs> Can you can you also just imagine like if Facebook existed in like the original Star Trek universe? Like they had no way of conceiving that in the 1960s, but it just amuses me to think that like officers were updating their Facebook status or like scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> oh my there's god. There's a sketch in that. Maybe there's a sketch. Space, I mean, space Tinder has got to be wild. I mean, even oh. just even just like the amount of of preferences you would have to choose from to get started. <laughs> oh man, Kirk could pop up all the time on Space Tinder. <laughs> Absolutely, just instantly match with all the green women. So Kirk just followed his 
um, followed procedure and um, closed the switch and then logged the incident. Uh, Finney was reprimanded afterwards and moved to the bottom of the promotions list and then Finney hated Kirk, which is a bit unfair. Finney was, so on the Enterprise, Finney was next on the duty roster, so he had to go on the pod during the Ion Storm, and that's when everything went bad. Uh, Kirk says he declared a red alert and tried to give Finney more time before he was forced to jettison the pod. Uh, the computer log says that the Enterprise was only on yellow alert when the pod was jettisoned. It's in the transcripts, and computer computer transcripts don't lie. Or Commodore do wants, or do they? That's it. I've got a lot of faith in computers. Well, yeah, and I was, I think this episode is set, or like was filmed before. It's the menagerie where where Spock fakes the audio, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Because we've had evidence of the computers being tampered with and being wrong before. But I I guess I think that actually is technically later, even though it aired first. That's a good point. Because you've got Spock in this being called on as the computer expert. And Spock is literally the guy that tampered with the computer last time. That's a good point. Uh, Commodore wants to bury the incident and basically just wants to have Kirk resign quietly and sign a report that he had a mental breakdown or something that affected his judgment. Because he doesn't want to sully the name of the officers or the field, yeah. as he puts it. Yep, and Starfleet in general. Um, Kirk insists he's innocent and he wants a court-martial. Um, Kirk meets Ariel in the bar. Am I saying that right? Ariel? Ariel? It's, th- it's Ariel, but it's spelled... Little, little Mermaid? It's spelled... Yeah, it's spelled A-R-E-E-L. Yeah. That makes it more spacey, I guess. Oh, of course. That makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> this is the future. In the future, we spell Ariel differently. <laughs> also, Jamie is spelled... J-A-M-E, according to Memory Alpha. Yeah, which oh, I, wow. I would I would think would be Jame, but... <laughs> or Jim. Jame sounds more spicy. <laughs> um, I like Jame. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a character from a Demi Lardner sketch. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, yeah, the subtitles... That's a, that's a Chris Lilly character, Jame. <laughs> That's right, right Jemay, <laughs> the private school girl. Kirk meets Ariel in the bar, and this is where we get, Dr. McCoy said you were here. I should have felt it in the air like static electricity. Yeah, you ran right past her, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, Ariel warns Kirk that the prosecution will build its case based on Kirk versus the computer and warns him that, you know, no defense could um, basically defend against such a case. Um, Ariel reveals that she is the prosecutor and then she mm-hmm. chokes up as she says she has to do her very best to get Kirk thrown out of the which, service. Which, like, literally, do they have no other prosecutors? Yeah, that's I right. Mean, I mean, I don't think attorney's ethics exist in Starfleet. 
in terms of con- conflict of interest. I mean, she shouldn't be t- she shouldn't be talking to him at all. She definitely yeah, shouldn't be right. telling him what the prosecution strategy is. Also, she shouldn't be prosecuting the case. She should have like recused yeah. herself. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have a story. Yeah, that's right. But not only that, like not only should she have turned down the case to start off with, um, she's arranged Kirk's defense attorney for him. Which she is hasn't insane. really. She recommends an attorney. She doesn't arrange oh. it. I think. Oh, she she says she's she's arranged for him to pay Kirk a visit. Oh, okay. Because Kirk comes back to his quarters and he's just you know pottering around, picks up a sari and brandy, pours himself a drink. And then all of a sudden he looks up to see there's a man in his quarters with like a room full of books, basically piles and piles of books. And we meet Samuel T. Cogley, defense attorney, who's decided to move in with Kirk. I want to see that TV show. Oh, hell yeah. Space like attorney. This guy. What I love is like these these books are these are these are like 1960s law books because th- this is still this is still what those books look like. When they publish, when they publish case law, because my office—I mean, we got rid of them like when we had to do some renovation. But like, we used to have our walls lined with those books. Oh wow! There you go. That's awesome. Yeah, they look certainly look formidable. So he meets his attorney, who's awesome. I love him, and he's played by um, guy who was in uh, Rosemary's Baby, and oh. That's right. Yeah, he's like he's like the guy who shows them their apartment and Rosemary's baby, and he's in. I don't remember who he's played because it's been way too long since I've seen it. But he's apparently also in Salem's Lot, and what? Yeah, which actually just went up on on one of the streaming services. So I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it again this weekend. But he's he's really he's one of those guys like a lot of these guys in in the '60s who were television actors just in. An insane amount of things, like two hundred and some credits on on I'm oh, Baby. Elisha, uh, Elisha Cook. Yes. Wow. Well, there you go. Uh, so Cogley, his character is a luddite who trusts books over computers, and that's a big sort of theme in this episode. Um, his pile of books, he's very proud of. They cover the law from Moses through to the tribunal on Alpha. Alpha three, <laughs> yeah, uh, which we all know about. Which comes up, oh no, it comes up a couple of times. So it's a big event, and then we they have a chat for a bit, and then we cut to the court martial in session, uh, where the computer reads out Kirk's charge of culp- culpable negligence, and Kirk pleads not guilty. Uh, Spock is called as the first witness, and sits in a chair with his right hand on a glowing circle. So this this must be the lie detector. Um, he's wearing a blue science-coloured tunic with a gold trim and he's got a multicoloured Starfleet logo which looks kind of like a Christmas tree. I don't think I've seen that before. And some of the, the court-martial board members have got the same logo. Yeah, these court martial, these like formal court martialing outfits are really something. They are. They're spe- spectacular blazers. 
prosecutor Ariel asks Spock about his expertise with computers and Spock agrees that there was no malfunction in the Enterprise computer that would cause it to be inaccurate, uh, but its records are inaccurate nonetheless. Because, and Spock says this is because it's impossible for Captain Kirk to act out of panic or malice. Uh, Ariel interrupts and says, you know, Spock's speculating. And Spock says, he is half Vulcanian. <laughs> and Vulcanians <laughs> cannot speculate. And they act out of pure logic. This is the first mention of Vulcanians, isn't it? Um, I, I believe it's, it might be the only one. I cannot tell a lie. I'm half Volcano. Um, no, I think like in an earlier episode, they mentioned Vulcanian and then they just kind of were like, yeah, let's shorten it to Vulcan. But also it's something that like they, I know it's not the only time in this series this comes up, but this whole Vulcan, it, 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 it's not, it's not based on anything that, that they don't speculate. Like we see him doing that shit all the time. We haven't. Yeah. Oh, we haven't seen the episode with Spock's parents yet, have we? No. Okay. Then yeah, never mind. No, that's right. So much good Spock stuff to come. Uh, the trial continues with Finney's grieving daughter watching on. Uh, eventually, Ariel calls McCoy to the stand and says, "Doctor, you are an expert in psychology, especially space psychology." <laughs> Oh, oh man! I think I, I think he's an expert in whatever medical-related thing happens to come up that episode. Especially space, whatever medical thing it is. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, psychology is different in space. Um, the prosecution's case centers, yeah, on the computer records and whether Kirk hated Finney, as Finney apparently bore deep resentment toward Kirk. Cogley declines to cross-examine any of the witnesses and eventually calls Kirk to the stand. Um, Kirk has a green blazer with gold trim and he's got a big coloured star and a medal on there. It's um, very fancy. The- it is very nice, very sharp. Uh, mm-hmm. The computer reads out an extensive list of Kirk's recommendations and Kirk basically defends himself with a monologue and says he took exactly the right steps in exactly the right order to save his ship and if he had the same situation again, he would act in exactly the same way. But then Ariel screens the security footage from an overhead camera on the bridge and uh it shows Kirk pressing the yellow alert button and a while later the footage shows Kirk pressing the jettison pod button. Which, let's talk about the buttons Please. on the captain's chair. Because, <laughs> first of all, I feel like any other time, and it it might not be consistent, but generally he just tells people to like go to yellow alert or go to red alert. Yeah, but there, there's the two <laughs> alert buttons. I think there's there's one other button because these buttons are like labeled with like like you would get off like one of those little handheld label printers. But they <laughs> one says alert. Well, no, two of them say alert, and then there's another one that says jettison pod. How often? Convenient. How often <laughs> does this come up that that's on the captain's chair? 
Yeah. What, what of five well, things that the captain can do? He can set yellow. Well, this episode, definitely. <laughs> he can set red and yellow alert, and he can jettison the pod. Those are the three most important things that the captain can do, apparently. So he's like, yeah, it's like a video game. He's got customizable hotkeys or something. And he should, so he must have a label maker there ready to print off <laughs> before he's about to murder someone in cold blood and commit perjury. I feel like they, it was made for them, like they don't have any faith in the captain. Like they treat him like a little kid, like, here's your coloring book. These are the three things you have to do. (laughs) (laughs) So the evidence is damning and Cogley looks shocked uh, and is quite taken aback. Back in Kirk's quarters, Cogley tries to get Kirk to change his plea to guilty. They they set him up as like this brilliant et- attorney, like he's going to come in with all the solutions, and like you're really rooting for this guy, and then he's kind of like, yeah, I'm not so great. Time to give up. You're beaten. That's right. Well, even Kirk for a second he starts to to doubt himself, and he's like, no, no, I did everything right. Mm-hmm. Spock radios down to report that he's checked the computer over again and found no malfunction. Uh, Kirk tells him it's not all bad news. He may be able to beat his next captain at chess. Now, is this an established thing that Kirk always beats Spock in chess? I can't remember. I feel like Spock No, they play win. it. I, I don't think it's established that he always beats Spock in chess. I think we, we, we see them playing... We, we, we've seen them playing earlier, though. The one with... Um, in the menagerie, like that's one of the opening scenes and like one of the first introductions to Spock is they're playing chess and there's like I clearly remember that scene where Spock's like, Ah, yes, one of your human emotions. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like Spock should be unbeatable. But there you go. Um so the mention of Chess has given Spock an idea and he sort of raises an eyebrow like he always does. Uh, Finney's daughter Jamie comes into Kirk's quarters and she's um, she's finally sort of calmed down and uh, she's basically just tells Cogley, you've got to stop this, make, make him take a ground assignment. Uh, she says she's realised that this wasn't Kirk's fault and this seems to have given Cogley an idea. Spock is playing chess against the computer and McCoy comes in to be angry at him for playing chess when the captain is about to be found guilty. Uh, Even though there's nothing mechanically wrong with the computer, Spock is consistently beating it at chess when the best result he should be able to achieve is a draw. Spock and McCoy storm into the court just as the defence rests its case. But they still have time to change their outfits. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good pickup. <laughs> Cogley tells the Commodore uh, about new evidence that's come to light and then starts banging on about human rights and the Magna Carta and the Code of Hammurabi and the Constitution of the United States, the fundamental declarations of the Martian colonies and the statutes of Alpha 3. So whatever happened on Alpha 3 was very poignant. Uh and he mentions that his client has been denied the human, or his client Kirk has been denied the right to be confronted by those that raise accusations against him. So 
Kirk hasn't had the opportunity to confront the computer, apparently, so he uh, gets Commodore Stone to agree to reconvene the court on board the Enterprise. Which does, which does seem slightly unnecessary. I mean, I get that it's like the, the you know, they got to get them up there so they can have this dramatic thing where the Enterprise is going to, like, crash. But why, why can't he just tell them what's going on? <laughs> That's it. You don't. You really don't have to show them. You could just tell them. Yeah, yeah. We're so adamant, adamant about it. Like, but then we wouldn't get. We would not get the best scene of this episode, which is my favorite. And I messaged Mick about it. You get like one of my favorite lines in any Star Trek episode ever. So good, so good. You can you can describe that for us. In the ship's boardroom, Spock shows the court the chess game and argues that someone has accidentally or deliberately modified the computer. And then they determine the only person that would have been capable of modifying this computer was the records officer, Lieutenant Commander Finney. Cogley Cogley proposes (laughs) that Finney is not dead and is hiding on the ship. Everyone leaves the ship except the court-martial members. Uh, Cogley also leaves on urgent business relating to the trial. I can't remember what this urgent business was, actually. Can you guys remember why? Like, was there a big reveal at the end? I think this is the last we see of Cogley. No, he kind of has like a little scene, I think, before the Kirk aerial makeouts. Oh, He's oh, okay. he th- his thing was he was going to go and get Jamie. Oh right. Ah uh, okay. That's why he leaves. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Kirk uses an auditory sensor to detect sound <laughs> on board the ship. Well, Doctor McCoy uses it. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe you can tell this bit. So basically, Doctor McCoy has a white noise device that eliminates that is like programmed to eliminate the sounds of heartbeats or any signs of life of the people on the bridge. So they've sent anyone who is not on the court martial board in the transporter room um, off the ship. So it's just that handful of people. Um, So the white noise device, which is otherwise known as a microphone that has been painted silver. Um, he basically waves it over their chest and it's programmed to that heartbeat so they can like cut out their like life signatures essentially it is the most fabulous looking silver microphone it looks like i don't know the best sort of vegas show <laughs> some sort of lounge singer i love it's it like if a- mccoy just busted out a song <laughs> One thing that I wanted to do was he goes over to Spock and they've talked about like the two Vulcan hearts and I just wanted McCoy to like point the microphone at like Spock's arm or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just near his calf muscle. <laughs> he kind of like he goes over like points it at Ahura's chest, points it at every single member of the court. And then goes to Spock, like casually points it at his groin. Because <laughs> we all know that's where the Vulcan's hearts are. 
Um, um, I, I like how when they're listening to that audio device start off with like it's a really loud sound because it's got everybody's heart mm-hmm. and they have to cut to a shot of each individual person wincing at this loud <laughs> loud noise. <laughs> yeah. We get the point. It's annoying. Yep. Um, um, and then they also like, they're like, oh, there's someone in the transporter room. So we have to, but we can't have them up here. And then Kirk says, Mr. Spock, eliminate his heartbeat. And I was like, <laughs> did, did, did Kirk just order that guy killed? Sounds brutal, <laughs> doesn't it? And yeah, why doesn't he have to go down and wave the, the, um, the cool Vegas <laughs> lounge singer Mike at his heart? They've obviously got transporter, transporter room techs, heartbeats on fire. Yeah. A single heartbeat remains and it's detected in engineering. So uh, Kirk orders the decks to be sealed off and then he heads down to confront Finney with his phaser drawn. The orbit's beginning goes, to decay, meanwhile. Then it goes into like this weird narration that hasn't necessarily come up earlier in the episode. It's like Kirk like recounting it for the captain's log, but it's... But we don't hear it. There's no, like, he doesn't say Captain's Log before it. Right. Yeah. And and because he hasn't been doing Captain's Logs throughout this episode, it does it does seem very weird to just have it dropped in here. Almost like an afterthought. Yeah, that's right. Finney's voice, I'm not sure if it comes over the PA or if it's just, you know, it's him sort of echo- echoing around the, I think it's the room just in engineering. While Kirk's creeping around, but... Finney basically sounds like a Bond villain. Um, and he, uh, Kirk tries to reason with him and says, you know, it's not too late, we can help. And then Finney eventually reveals himself and sticks a phaser in Kirk's back. And he's a crazy, crazy-eyed madman. He's <laughs> sweating bullets and he's, uh, he's on edge. Makes a good villain. Yeah, two days in space will do that to you. Oh, yeah. And a, a, a career of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, he's damaged the main energy circuit and the Enterprise is going to be destroyed and Kirk and all the officers are going to die along with him. Um, Kirk reveals Jamie is on board and then Finney freaks out and he's like, why did you do that? Why did you bring her here? And then we pretty much cut to Kirk climbing through a conduit and repairing the circuit while he's narrating, um, saying that Finney's beaten and sobbing and now he's revealed you know, where he did the damage to the circuit so I can repair it or whatever. So we we got to talk about this fight scene, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. I skipped over a pretty major thing. Because, because this fight scene features the most egregious use of stunt doubles I've ever ever seen in anything ever not only that like they're stunt doubles but they're clearly using like very like by the book stage combat moves yeah and like we see these like it'll it'll you know it'll be the close-up so we'll see we'll see shatner and then it'll cut away and this dude looks so unlike shatner that I like, I couldn't tell at times what was supposed to be happening. It was 
so it was so distracting because it'll be like every other cut. It'll be Kirk and then it'll cut and it's just random dude, completely different hair color, like his shirts ripped differently. <laughs> it's it's really bad. And it's not just like one there oh, you know, there's one clip where they didn't quite do it right. It's most of this fight, it's just going back and forth. I'll, I'll have to put up some photos. Yeah, how did I who skip was, over that? Who was the script supervisor for this? Because they clearly did not do their job. <laughs> they had a little too much Romulan ale. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get the, the trademarked ripped shirt. And, of course, while Kirk's climbing through the conduit doing repairs with cables and sparks flying everywhere, he's got a classic ripped shirt over the shoulder. And uh, eventually the day is saved. We get later on, and I don't know if I've skipped over any other stuff, but yeah, Kirk and Ariel share a, or Ariel share a quiet moment on the bridge. And she asks if it would be okay for the captain to, to kiss her on the bridge. Oh man, I was shaking my head like I was cringing. <laughs> so after they kiss. Kiss and have this big romantic moment. The camera moves back and reveals that the entire bridge crew is there trying to work and watching them. Oh, oh man. Like, and then Kirk goes and he stands right by McCoy. And I really just wanted McCoy to like fist bump Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see uh, Ariel again. I think uh, Ariel could have her own spin off. She could. Yeah. Space Lawyers, the series. Yeah. And whatever each week is about, they've got to bring McCoy in as an expert in whatever space thing it is. Yes, they should. McCoy, I hear you're an expert in podiatry, especially <laughs> space podiatry. I mean, it's technically a thing. <laughs> it could be. So one of the writers, Don uh, Mankiewicz, I think I mentioned, yeah, he's yeah, responsible for Ironside, who... I, 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 have you guys ever seen Ironside? I mean, I, I, I know what it is. So it had Raymond Burr starring in it that played uh, Perry Mason. Oh, okay. I know Perry Mason. Yeah. Perry Mason used to be on, like, After School. I used to like it as a kid for some reason. I actually named a cat once <laughs> after, like, Hamilton Burger, the prosecutor. <laughs> oh, of course you did. <laughs> Ten year old kid with a cat called Hamilton. Man. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, so. yeah, Ironside is like the one where he's the police detective in a in a wheelchair. Ah, okay, that makes sense. So Ironside was late sixties, I'm guessing, or must be a yeah. Sort of time. It was actually right about the same time as this. There you go. Whereas. It was Perry Mason 50s or very early 60s, and that was black early and white. Early 60s. Yeah. And then I think they made more in the 80s. So well, it was Perry pick. Mason was 57 to 66. Oh. Ah, there you go. So I wonder did it never make the transition to color then? Because Star Trek's one of your sort of early sort of feature series in color, in living color on NBC. Yeah, it was. So, did you guys enjoy this episode? Um, it was a weird one, Nick. Yeah, it was. It, 
Yeah, there's parts of it I really like. Like, I really like Cogley. Like, I wish we actually would get him back as a space attorney later. Yeah. Because I, I think he's a lot of fun. It's, yeah, it's, I like Ariel, the prosecutor mermaid. Right. My Okay, so my thing was they set up so many of these great characters and, like, this great potential climax, but it really suffered from overwriting. Like, they wanted to have all of these different tropes in the episode. And someone should have just, like, told the writers, enough. Let's keep this simple. Like, you had the romance. You had the eccentric lawyer. You had the man versus computer. You had the trial. You had the daughter. Like, And I felt like they were initially setting Jamie up to have a bigger role. Like, Maybe she was colluding with her father. Like, she knew he was alive the entire time. And then they were like, nah, let's change that at the last minute. Yeah, that's right. I wonder how that compares to, you know, a typical episode of Ironside or Perry Mason. What else I thought was funny is, you know... Similar numbers of characters. You have this this big dramatic speech that Cogley gives, which is, you know, the, the rights of the human versus the computer... At least that's what it's like supposed to be, and that's how it's presented. But really, all it is, if you actually like look at his actual dialogue, is a list of things. <laughs> like it's just like the Bible and Hammurabi's Code and the U.S. Constitution, and he's giving it as this very impassioned, like you would get in in Perry Mason, you know, these big closing arguments, but. But the actual material is just, it's just nonsense. <laughs> just a shopping list of his favorite books <laughs> and how much he hates computers. It's a rant, basically. It's like, who it's was a good lawmaker? Hammurabi. Let's add that one. The Bible. You <laughs> know that. <laughs> and yeah, his, his whole argument is about if we, if we don't go and interrogate the computer or something like that, then we're placing the computer as more yeah, important I, than us as humans. I feel like the writer thought they were writing um, If You Prick Us, Do We Not Bleed from Merchant. Oh. Like, I feel like that's what they were going for, uh. was this big, like, the the importance of humanity. But it's just, it's just not actually there at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's definitely a bit flat after the... The last couple of exciting episodes. Not enough giant lizard men. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> oh man. And not enough uh, time not travel. Enough quirky time travel comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but they did have the romance. Yeah. You can say that. Yeah, I like that. And the cool costumes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Very cool indeed. I like the Blazers. So our second court martial episode. I wonder if we'll get any more before we get through the third season. I think there's a couple. Yeah, court martial's a good thing. Very tense. Uh, anybody got anything else to add about this episode before I close it up? I don't think so. No, I just... The costumes kind of... I appreciate them, but they also bug the living crap out of me in this episode. Like, when Ariel comes on to... She comes... She's first introduced, she's wearing her cocktail dress and the leggings, and she's the only one out of uniform in that bar yeah. slash lounge. Which so is just, really it's a blatant, the... like, p- 
pay attention to her, pay attention to her. <laughs> and then a twist. And then the fact that McCoy and Spock both have time to change into their fancy court martial uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we must go present this evidence immediately, but first, quick change. And isn't it like when they're back up on the Enterprise and Spock's showing them the They're back into chess. their regular uniforms. Yeah, which is weird. Um, yeah, unless they waited a day or something to reconvene. Does seem very odd. So, Linda, I just I wanted to ask you, so you listen to this as a Star Trek fan, uh, mm-hmm. and I guess a lot of the guests we've had on lately, are, you know, we've, we've enjoyed introducing people to Star Trek or introducing them to the original series. Um, what's it like listening to me get stuff wrong every week? It is so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> You are here. You can read anybody else that's a he's data that's listening to this and you're crying out in frustration every oh. week. Linda, Linda can be here to represent you in some part. I sometimes listen to this um, when I'm like grading papers and I will be in an office where everyone's like they're plugged in, they've got their headphones in and just like uh, Thursday, I literally was screaming about the shirt colors on the Nikara. <laughs> so tell us about that. So it, it's pretty simple. Like I think um, obviously blue is science and medical red is engineering, but yellow isn't command. I think yellow is navigation. Okay. Well, there you go. Because, so, and the um, you can tell their rank by the insignia that they wear on their shirt, pretty much. So, like those fancy Christmas tree type pins that they have in the court martial scenes, that shows. Oh, Kirk is wearing a different one because he's a captain. McCoy is wearing one because he's a doctor, but he's also a lieutenant commander. Same with Spock. The Commodore obviously has a little bit of a fancier one. On their on their uh, red haired uniforms, it's the stripes on the sleeves, right? I mean, I know in, in like next gen and stuff, it goes into the pips. Yeah. But it's, it's the stripes too. I realize it was just some sort of production decision, but I do think it's interesting that yellow becomes engineering. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just, it, it started out as navigation because also in like the menagerie, the one with, um, or the one with Pike, that's the menagerie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they all have like really messed up weird, like robe like uniforms. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what, like the decision to change the colors of uniforms for next gen. I wonder, was that like purely a, just a costume like a wardrobe change for Picard. They want Picard in red. And so they work backwards from that. It could have been like a digital versus film situation too. For, for next gen? Yeah, like certain colors will show up better or I don't, I haven't really done. Oh, I see when you say video, yeah, yeah videotape. Yep. Yep. No, I haven't really um, watched too much next gen except for the movies. See now, this is interesting because right now I'm on I'm on Memory Alpha under their under their Starfleet uniform section, and they're they do well. I guess it's it's the yellow is helm and navigation, but there's also like a 
or like a very like it's the same it's the same orange that in that they do have listed as command there you go okay so maybe it's just like picking up on those subtle differences so is there anything else that uh while you're here and you have the floor anything else that's been driving you nuts while i've been just randomly rambling about star trek um not really. I'm sure that I'm going to think of something and then immediately like message me being like, what the hell? What the hell? <laughs> Hit me up anytime. I wasn't sure if I could swear on this podcast. <laughs> oh, but I mean, we we definitely last week on, if we hadn't sworn before then, which I'm sure we have, last week was insane <laughs> with, with, with Nick. I used a little. Yeah, I used Nick, a, Nick dropped the first C bomb. Oh yeah, I'm not surprised. I used a little bit of um, "Ain't It Rich" in one of my classes, and um, Uh-oh. I I just wanted them to get a good feel for like different accents because I picked an episode that had Australian accents. It also had um, a Swiss accent, but it was someone speaking in English. And I had to edit out so many f bombs and so many bombs, <laughs> and then oh, good on you! Then, like literally a week later, I had to. Um, I was trying to explain rhyme and verse to some of my students, and I used a limerick as an example. And the rhyming words were, "It soon came to pass." and grass and then i was like <laughs> underlining the end of that word and i'm like linda do not say this out loud <laughs> oh man it, <laughs> so what are, yeah what are the kids into in thailand what are they oh, right now um everyone is really into harry potter hmm. because of the fantastic because of the fantastic beasts um film uh they don't really like star trek like i've tried to use yoda's speech as an example and no one has gotten any um sorry star trek star wars and no one has really gotten that like i've used that as making sure as sentence structure and i'm like don't talk like yoda we all know who yoda is and then I get like these blank stares from the class. And then I draw like a half-assed <laughs> attempt at Yoda on the board. And they're like, yep, nope, we don't know that. And I'm like, okay, I feel old. <laughs> wow. So not into Star Wars at all. Not into Star Wars. Um, there's a couple of big Disney movies coming out, which everyone su- seems really excited about. Um, a lot of Marvel fans, uh, everyone's everyone loves is really excited for Aquaman. Hmm. Uh, cool. But that's DC. Um, but they've got their own like TV shows and Oh, the, all the kids seem to really want, really like and watch my little pony. <laughs> because there you go. like they will be able to quote full lines from the episodes in English, but not know what they mean. Oh wow! I think it's just a thing at the school, though. Can you use that in in class? Can you use that in English lessons? I I have been I have been using it. Like they've I've been referring to Applejack and certain characters from My Little Pony, like in various scenarios. And um, we were doing this one exercise. It, it's essentially a doctored 
game of charades and unicorn was one of the options. So in, if they had to make the sound um, instead of like describing what a unicorn looks like, the sound was my little pony. <laughs> and that, that was just what they unanimously agreed on. That was how a unicorn sounds. <laughs> it, 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 it was it was pretty great oh man that's so cool my daughter's um, just started watching Shira. i want to see that so good like the classic ones on netflix even better that's awesome yeah but there's a yeah brand new series as well mm-hmm. so cool we yeah. into Shira or he-man emily you know that i never really was a kid like I was sort of a little, because I was born in I was born in eighty three, which I feel was like a little bit young for that when that was like super big. I remember um, I was I would get really upset with like the opening credits because they talked about like the end of the world. So whenever it was wow. on, and they showed like destruction and everything. So whenever it was on, like I would have to leave the room, and then mom or dad would be like, "Okay." You're good. <laughs> they started the episode. Oh, man. So you're down with the show, just the intro freaks you out. Yeah. Yeah. It was big. I was born in 80, so it was like it was massive when I started, started school in 86. There was... Very uh, cool. I don't know if it was just because of like the time that I was watching Cartoon Network, like early morning, later in the evening, um, just the way my schedule was, but they showed a lot of like Johnny quest um, sh- cartoons from the eighties and stuff. So I grew up watching them and was, oh, okay. it was just like the time of, it was like the time of day. That's what I was watching. Not like the other cartoon network shows. Yeah. So like okay, cool. my classmates would be into Ed, Ed and Eddie. And I was watching like Johnny quest and he man Awesome. So are you, so you're heading to Kosamui. Mm-hmm. So are you on like a, do you get like a Christmas break or something or a no, um, midsummer break? We've got like two days off next week. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of taking a long weekend, but one of those days, two of those days, I'm essentially just going to be traveling. So it, I'm literally going to be in Kosamui for Saturday and Sunday and most of Monday, but that's it. Um, but no, yep. no Christmas break. So I have to work on Christmas this year. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a normal school day? It's a normal school day. There you go. We get a, a New Year's break, but that's it. And I guess technically it's winter there at the moment. Yeah. Just occurred to me you're slightly above the equator. It is. Um, it's. We've had some chilly mornings. Um, last night when I was riding around, uh, it did start to get a bit cooler but nothing below 70, essentially. <laughs> yeah, you don't... Like, do they really have seasons there, or is it just uh, much no. the same? <laughs> There's no <Yep>. seasons. <laughs> there so there's is... no, like, wet season? You're not no, you're no, going to no. get months of monsoons? Or... Uh, um, yeah, no, there's, like, months where it sometimes rains a lot, and then months where it doesn't sometimes rain a lot. It's pretty standard, like, the entire year. Very cool. Well, have fun. Thanks. Um, and 
you still planning to visit Australia in the new year? I am, as soon as I get all my visa stuff sorted out. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Yeah. So, Linda Moulton, do you have anything to plug? Um, no. I mean, check out 301 Views, the comedy group um, that I was involved with. I'll still give them good words, even though I'm not, I'm kind of on an extended hiatus. Um, they've got their Christmas show coming up in New York, but I'm not sure the dates for that yet. But they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter, Instagram. That's it. Very cool. Did the Star Trek sketch make it onto YouTube? Uh, it's going to be uploaded soon. I still have to edit it oh, cool. together. But when it is, I will send it to you. Wonderful. Yeah, well, let us know. We'll share the, if you're in New York and you want to see some improv. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let us know. We'll share the dates around. Yeah. Thanks so much. It's great to chat to you. And, yeah, um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's an exciting adventure you're on there in Thailand, so I hope you hope you have fun. Can't wait to see you in Australia one day. We pop over. Hopefully sooner rather than later. It'll be wonderful. We'll look forward to it. Mm -hmm. uh, Emily, how can we follow you on the World Wide Web? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at EFLind, and I do a Star Wars podcast called The Cantobite Dispatch, and you can find that on any of your podcatcher and we are on twitter at cantobite pod wonderful and of course you can follow us we're at he's dead jim pod on all the main socials and you can send us an email he's dead jim pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you thank you very much uh thanks so much linda for joining us thank you emily thank you very much listeners and as we say here every week now apparently God bless Demi Gardner. Like, I don't know what goes on in her brain, but I love it. <laughs> she is an international treasure. Until next time, keep, keep the, the Star Trek alive. Yay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>